2: Hello and welcome to your post-match raw on Anfield Index Pro podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downing and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Liverpool 2 Everton 0 in the Premier League from Anfield are Dave Hendrick and Jim Boardman. Uh, Dave, I mean, there's so much uh, to talk about with this game. Actually, ironically, not a good game of football, not a great performance from the Reds in any way, shape or form, Mm. possibly a bad performance from the Reds. But to come out with a 2-0 result in the game is literally all that matters. And it's, as Jim was saying earlier on to Guy in the chat there on Skype, exactly the type of Derby win that you love, because they will be crying about it for years.
3: Oh, 100%, yeah. I mean, like, as you said, we didn't play well. We had moments, but we didn't play well. Uh, To their credit, I, I thought they defended really well. I actually think Dyche did himself in by going so negative at half time, Uh by going to that back five, by bringing on Michael Keane. I thought, you know, bring on Patterson for Harrison and go the rest as is, and you'll be okay. You can go 4-4-1, four, four, stick to Couray right wing, McNeil left wing, Bigfoot up front, and you're two in midfield. And, and you can still sit in, you can still defend, because you're defending really well with your two banks of four as is. I thought he hamstrung himself by bringing on Michael Keane and removing McNeil, because McNeil was causing us some problems down the left. But what I liked about Liverpool today was we didn't let the heads drop. There was a clear, positive vibe through that team, where they felt like they were going to get what they deserved on the day. And I really liked how brave Jürgen's substitutions were. I thought like there was a, a lovely arrogance to bringing on Harvey Elliott for Costa Simicus and saying to Harvey, go play an attacking midfield. Yeah, Don't remarkable. worry about left-back. Luis Diaz is going to take the entire left flank because we're not worried about them because they've got nobody out there. Yeah. So we're going to go all-out attack. We're going to play a back two. We're going to play a box four in midfield. And we're going to play a front four and fuck them. We're just going to batter them until they eventually give in. And the belief we had was that they would give in, which to be fair is understandable. They're not a good team. That's their sixth defeat in the Premier League this season. And they've had a pretty favorable run of fixtures. Like they've already played Fulham, Wolves, Sheffield United, Luton and Bournemouth. And they've only got seven points. They've lost six games. So, we knew we were better, and we stamped home the fact that we were better. We continued to play. It would have been nice to see us be a bit more inventive with the ball. That's the, the real knock I'd have on us today. I thought we were very predictable at times. But as, as you and Jim said, that's exactly the type of derby when you want. It showed as well that we can, we can play in the muck. It doesn't need to be everything is perfect. And we've, we've shown that all season. When the games get tough, when things are not going exactly as we want them, we can still grind out those results. And that's a really promising sign.
2: It it, it really and truly is a promising sign. And, and Jim, I know you're a lot closer to the case than myself and Dave and Guy are. And uh, we saw Jay uh, doing us proud there for... um, uh, on the wasn't it bt promo ahead of the game um you're all mucker from your podcast uh Tommy's and you guys in particular will be reveling in the next few days because it is a really pointed thing, and I, I don't think people fully get it. Uh, we all have a concept of what bragging rights are, but there's a degree of relief uh, also that that's the that factors in where you you get a little bit giddy. I know myself having been around the city for a period of time after Derby wins. Um, it, it there's an extra pep in the step, Jim, and it's lovely that we're the ones continually now. What is that? Something like one defeat they've managed in 18 derbies, something like that. It's a, it's just basically what we do. Uh, and it's 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 wonderful to be in this run.
4: Yeah, because I mean you yeah, I mean, growing up, it was definitely not as um one-sided as it is now, you know, no. and um Monday mornings, going into school, going into work, whatever, you'd be like you know, you'd be dreading going in if you if you'd not played well, if you'd lost, and it kind of that still stays with you. No matter how good you are as a team, no matter how high you are in the lead table, how far apart you are from each other, I mean, all those cliches are true about the form, but going out the window. And I feel sorry for whoever it is it keeps landing on. But it's it, it's true. It does. It goes out the window. These games um, can just just be nothing like a sign of how the season's gone for either team. Um, you know, often you'll see Everton. Well, they do. They treat it as the biggest game of the season. Um, but then, you know, when Liverpool are, are in the mood, so will they. But then, you know, I, I don't know, we've seen so many derbies where the referees have kind of let things go. We've had loads of fouls and stuff, but it's that. It's all that stuff that goes on afterwards. And I think the thing about them losing today and referees getting a mention... I mean, after the this season we've had so far as well, um, you know, we were I was starting to worry that we were sounding like them. You know, we were talking about refereeing so much, but I think I think it was justified. Um, but an Evertonian, you'll bump into an Evertonian, you'll be having a conversation, and out of nowhere they'll draw, they'll just draw, come up with this memory of, um, of a free kick that happened. <laughs> Nothing really, you know, it wasn't awarded in the eighteenth minute of a game that would have changed everything um, eight years ago or something, really? and it, they're just obsessed with it, and it's just. I don't know. I mean, you find yourself trying to have sensible conversations with them and ending it laughing, because um, the, I mean, they're all right when they're on their own. we, we said this on on of Tommy's a lot. You get them one on one. There's a more reasonable blue in front of you, um, but then they still kind of eventually just can't resist. Sort of the anger and the bitterness starts boiling, and um, and in a way, you know, this this is the thing I said about Liverpool is shit happens in a game things go against you bad refs offsides that shouldn't have been awarded whatever it is Um, missed chances fluky goals moments of exquisite skill from the other team it doesn't matter you go behind you have a hard thing you've got to react you've got to say shit well it's not going to change now we've got to change it ourselves and to me that's been Everton's problem since those decades ago when they stopped winning things stopped winning trophies because something goes against them and it's like that's all they focus on the thing that went against them and to be fair to them, we weren't quite as bad on that on that way today, but you just know that in the aftermath of this, it will all be about the refereeing decisions. It won't be anything about, I mean, I'm not, I actually said at the end, we deserve to win. And the reason I said that is I think we were the, the team that most wanted to win, um, even though they were a little bit more adventurous, if you like, first half. There, was, there wasn't many times in that game when I thought Everton have come for a win. You know they've come to maybe sneak a point, um, maybe sneak a win if they're very lucky. But I just don't think they came for a win, and and to me that's what gives us the 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 chance to say we deserved it. And also, also they can't blame it all on the ref, you know. Um, And I think as as uh, as Dave said, we did what we needed to do, you know. About winning, winning, you know, we did enough to win, and (laughs) um, we can analyze the game all we want now. But I just know the next time I speak to a blue nothing that we talk about here will be really concentrated on. Me. It'll be all the referees and, and you Jim, find yourself laughing.
3: Will you now go door to door to all your Everton neighbours <laughs> and friends just, just to, you know, uh, to spread the joy and maybe try and make their day a little bit worse? Because I tell you, if there was an Everton fan living anywhere near me, I'd be on the front doorstep as soon as this podcast is over.
2: I'd be gone, I'd be gone full of my mum's cola and shouting in windows and looking at
3: lads bringing their yeah. fans. Cases. I, those- I have one everton <laughs> supporting friend and her whole family are everton fans so she just got cursed with this lineage of oh. your know, disappointment and uh, i've already sent her a text and she's just sent me back she forwarded it to her dad and he's just said tell that irish fucker to fuck off <laughs> so you know you have that just just to uh, emphasize our dominance over the blues Um, we've won four of the last five and the other one was a draw at Goodison, a nil-nil. In the last 29 games, they've beaten us once. That was that 2-0 at Anfield in 2021 when we had no centre-backs, we were falling apart and there was no fans in the stands. Uh, In those 29 games, we have 16 wins and there's been 12 draws. But just to emphasise it a little bit further, since the turn of the the century. Since the year 2000, there have been 53 games between Liverpool and Everton. They've won five. We've won 29 and there's been 19 draws. So, this is not you know jim is exactly right in in the 70s and 80s this was a competitive game cuz in the in the night in the 80s they were great even in the 90s it was a very competitive game
2: yeah even, in the when, 90s, they sh- they had- even when they were shit they were yeah. it, was, it was a competitive game in the 90s yeah. Yeah.
3: In, yeah in the 90s we only beat them four times in the entire decade yeah. and they beat us seven times so you know they were even even though we were better than them in the 90s they still got the better of us um now, obviously, in the 80s, oh, well, there's actually, no, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. We beat them, we beat them six times, um, There's a couple of wins in, in the 1991 season, including one which your friend Jan Mulby scored. But, like, in the, in the 80s and the 70s, the games were more competitive, and, and they felt more competitive. But what gets me with Everton, and if you want to do the Everton team first, Trev, I don't understand how dread how they're this dreadful,
2: yeah, I do want to get there because i've I've listened to you talk about them in the lead up uh, to the game, but just to finish off one point that Jim makes about feeling that we deserved it. And I know, Jin, that when you, when you were saying that you're always, is this almost a little bit controversial because you, you're you painfully aware as we all were that we were massively under par in terms of our performance. But just the basic stats, 26 shots to six, six on target to one, 78% of the ball. And if we're being honest, there was a couple of five minute spells there uh, which BT Highlight or TNT or whatever we're supposed to call them these days where we had 95 or 96% of the ball. And As far as I'm concerned, Everton's two big chances were in the very first minute where Calvert Loon has that shot from the McNeil or a header from McNeil cross that goes straight at Ali that they didn't shut up about for 45 minutes on the commentary. Mm. And then another ball, which was directly launched from Pickford to the centre forward, and he was nearly in as well. And that's, as far as I'm concerned, the best threat that they posed for the entirety of the match. We'll get to it. But you're right, Dave. I do want to go to Everton first because there's. There there is without doubt a bunch of footballers there who should be doing infinitely better than they are. There's a manager there who's capable of putting a row of results together that's infinitely better than he's managed so far. We know they've been um, dogged by injuries uh, to an extent. Uh, He talked about in his presser about relief at having certain lads back. But he is still playing a 47, 53-year-old or wherever he is right back. And, you know, in some, in some cases you reap what you sow. But there are the signs there. You mentioned the midfield. And I know you're pretty high on Onana. I really, really like that kid. McNeil's a footballer. They've got some really yeah. good players. And they have enough there that I think today it's just psychological. It's just, oh, these fuckers. We're never going to beat them. You watch everything in the next match. They'll probably win. That's what I would say. Yeah,
3: but like they would lost five in the league before today as well. Yeah, like, but it, it, they it's are not building. About they, us. It, they, there's, there's some sort of psychological block that they have. Because if you look at their team, right, they've got Pickford. Now, we know he's a flawed goalkeeper. He's got tiny little arms. He's not big enough to be an elite level goalkeeper. And he doesn't have the right mentality as well. He's too emotional. But he's still England's number one. He's not garbage. Like he's a, he's a decent Premier League goalkeeper. You've got Patterson's a really good young right back. Michaelenko, I thought, was outstanding today. Pocketed Salah for he the entire time he yeah. was on the pitch. In his pocket. Brantwaite was outstanding today. Tarkovsky's a very good defender. That should be a solid back four. But like you said, he's playing Ashley Young at right back. And the only reason Ashley Young is playing right back is because Seamus Coleman is injured. Because otherwise, you know he'd be playing Coleman at right back and Young at left back. And I said in the build-up, Ashley Young is the weak point in that team. He's been a liability all season. He'll be a liability again. And what happened? Diaz ran at him a couple of times, drew a yellow card, ran at him again, drew a red card, and off he goes on 37 minutes. And he lets his team down. In midfield, you've got Onana, who I think is outstanding. And I think in two years, I think we're going to be talking about him as one of the most dominant, forceful midfielders in the league. James Garner is a is a lovely little footballer. He's very neat and tidy. He doesn't do anything spectacular. He's a very Sean Dye centre midfielder. They've got De DeCourie, who's been really good since joining Everton in that number 10 spot. He's not as good deeper, but in that 10 spot, he causes havoc. because He's big and he's strong and he's quick. And then you've got McNeil. You've got Harrison. Both good technicians out wide. Neither of them have elite pace, which holds them back, but they're technically good. They graft, and they can produce. I and mean, then you've got Calvert-Lewin up front, who's a decent centre-forward. Outside of that, you've got Ben Godfrey, who's a decent defender. You've got Idrissa gay who's a good ball winner. You've got Arnott Danjuma, who's a good player. Beto, who's a decent player. And Cermetti, who's a decent player. Like, that's 15 or 16 good players, plus young plus Coleman, plus whatever else in the squad. There's no real excuse for them being this bad. And he can talk about injuries all he wants, but you look at who they've got out today. Deli Ali wouldn't be in the team anyway. Hasn't been a footballer for a few years now. Seamus Coleman is 35 years of age and well past his best. And Andre Gomes, who wouldn't be in the team anyway, because he's far too fancy for Sean Dyche. So I'm not having that. They've got injury issues. We're missing Robo, Curtis, Besetic, Thiago and Gakbo. And you can throw in Quevin Kelleher as well. Now, I know he, he's fit again, but we've had far more to deal with injury and suspension wise than they have this season. And yet we're top of the league as we stand and they're at risk of falling into the bottom three. And they're, they're not a terrible group of players, but... There's two things that the commentator said. There was a lot of things the commentator said today that I disagree, but there was two things that really stood out to me. One was that Dwight McNeil was their top scorer last year. And I looked at Dwight McNeil the other day, and he scored seven goals last season. And I thought, that can't be right. And it is. He scored seven goals last season, and no one else scored more than six in all competitions. DeCourie got five in the league and was the second top scorer. This season, you've got DeCourie on three, Calvert-Lewin on two, and a couple on one, and that's it. They just don't know how to score goals. There's no creativity in the team. Like I, I laid out a pretty good team Pickford, Patterson, Tarkovsky, Brantwaite, Michaelenko, Onana and Garner, Harrison, Jacure, McNeil, and Calverloon. That's a good solid mid table Premier League team. But there's no pace. There's no pace at all. So you can't play in behind, and there's no creativity. Like McNeil and Harrison are good crossers of the ball, they're good passers, but they're not inventive passers.
1: Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters,
3: But they should still be able to grind their way through games. There's no excuse for them losing at home to Luton or losing at home to Wolves or going and struggling at Sheffield United. How do those results happen when you outplay Bournemouth who are a better footballing team than the three teams I've just mentioned and you go to Brentford who are having a poor start to the season but are a good team and you beat them pretty comfortably. Like it's such a weird thing with this it's, Everton team, and it, it strikes equated. me as a lack
4: of understanding of the situation they're in as well, because I get it that you play Liverpool right, you put everything into this, and you yeah the, the times we said with Liverpool, you know you were shit against that lower lower half of the table team because you, you were a bit complacent, and we've said that about Liverpool many times in the past few seasons, but in their case, you know they cannot afford to be complacent against no. those bottom half of the table teams because they they are true rivals they're taking them far too lightly, and the other thing the commentator said. That stood out
3: to me, and I think is the primary reason that they're in the shit situation they're in, is that Sean Dyche is the eighth manager Jürgen Klopp, eighth Everton manager Jürgen Klopp has faced in his time at Liverpool.
2: That's, like, that's eight, eight
3: years. Eight years, right? And that's... if you if you look at it, it's actually worse than that. So when Jürgen took over, they had Roberto, don't call me Bob Martinez. <laughs> then Onsworth comes in as caretaker for a game. Then they have Koeman. Then they have Unsworth back in as caretaker again. Then they have Big Sam. Then they've got Marco Silva. Then Big Duncan Ferguson is in as caretaker. Then it's Ancelotti. Then it's Benitez. Then it's Duncan Ferguson again as a caretaker. Then it's Lampard. And now it's Deich. Like, they're changing managers. No manager has lasted more than two years in the entire time Jürgen's been at Liverpool. The longest serving manager, for I, I'm almost certain, in Jürgen's time at the club is Marco Silva and Carlo Ancelotti, who are there about 18 months each. And when you've got that many changing managers, m- many of them who play different styles of football, they're all buying players to do different things. And then Deich has to come along and try and figure out, well, I've got this collection of players that weren't bought by one guy for one way of playing they were bought by six or seven guys. And, like, Seamus Coleman dates back to Moyes been in charge. How yeah. the fuck do I put all this together in one
4: team? Well, since he brought ben- Benitez in as well, they, prior to that, when the manager came in, they gave him some cash from somewhere and they had a yeah. chance to put his own sort of trademark He's the things.
3: only one that got no money.
4: And then Rafa the got only no money. One. And, well, even since then, they've not exactly been overly generous, have they? Um, no. Not generous enough when you keep changing managers. But, like... You know, Carlo, Carlo was the manager when they beat us. That's only just over two years ago.
3: Deitch is the fourth different manager since Carlo. Rafa, Dunk, admittedly only for one game, Lampard and Deitch, but it's three permanent managers in two and a bit years. Like that's that's not a way to run a football club.
2: I prefer to think that Rafa was offered bags of cash and just decided not to spend it as a sleeper agent. I
3: I prefer to think he was offered bags of cash by Liverpool to go into
2: <laughs> and decimate them. Uh, yeah, it's I mean, look, it, 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 you, both yourself and Guy have, have referred to uh, uh, the, the the canny tapping up of um, of Onana at uh, a full time. Oh, yeah, he's a lad. You wouldn't mind uh, plucking. You take him. You take yeah.
3: Branthwaite. You would probably I mean, to fit really well on the back on the left side of a back three.
2: That's the kind of thing that you, you just you could actually revel in um, and, and, and cause some more tears um, from the uh, so, crowd to do. You mark.
3: probably know they're saying no on Onana, right? So yeah. the, the real thing to do here is January 1st, you very publicly make a bid and you make it high enough that they have to consider it. Yeah. So even if it's a little bit over what you think he's worth, because if they even hint at considering an offer from us for their best player, their fan base will go into absolute. you probably want to make it on Christmas Eve yeah, and just completely ruin the Christmas because it's going to be, even when they say no, it'll still be December 27th or 28th before they do that.
4: Oh, it's... it's <laughs> they just ruin their Christmas. But what under. you do is, yeah, put put in a high bid as well. Get it all yeah. so that they've all fallen out with the player in the club because he's even considered coming to us. Because he towards. wants to move. Yeah. And then your actual real bid, your non-verbal bid, is sort of three-quarters of the, the amount you bid earlier on. You so You take not even get bags out the money. of
3: cash we used to give Rafa, and you give it to Paul Joyce, and you say, look... <laughs> Just put in your story that he's interested in the move, and oh, see what
2: happens. A whole, a whole Everton stadium turning into that fucking boo meme, <laughs> basically, <laughs> is what happens there. Uh, Jim, let's take a look at the Reds lineup because, it, it, I mean, controversial is a bit of a stretch, uh, a, a big bit of a stretch, and I suppose you know, uh, the, the truth be told, perhaps uh, Darwin travel slight injury. We heard all these things. It, I I mean, (laughs) McAllister's in there because he has to be. uh, So possibly doesn't hold that much water. Diaz, same. Um, But the way that he goes is nominally the strongest defense that he could have put out there today, given the injury situation with Andy Robertson. The midfield, I think, is the one that I'd have liked uh, him to go with today because I had no faith at all um, that he would ever play Endo in a derby. And honestly, I think it might have been a silly idea, um, primarily because... If there was any sort of, if if, he, if the kid has any residual nerves or uncertainty about him, that's not the game for him, especially not against what was a very mobile and capable midfield three for Everton. And then he goes with Salah. Uh, Diaz and Jota uh, instead of Nunez. So, I mean, it's not exactly wildly controversial. When you look at our bench then, Jim, we do have Endo who can step in. Joe Gomez is there and he came in. Nunez came into great effect, as did Harvey Elliott, as did Joel Matip. There's also McConnell on the bench, Kelleher, Kwanzaa and Scanlon. Uh, and it's nice to see two to- Kids getting a first team, uh, you know, run out in the squad, um, but it's not so nice to see that lack of depth at the moment because of the injuries that Dave's mentioned. So, I, I think it's comparatively un- uncontroversial in terms of the way he went with his lineup. And w- what's good is a thing that you and I and, and Dave have often spoken about in this show is the perhaps. Less than stellar substitutions, uh, timing of and um, personnel uh, in, uh, thereof uh, from Clappo in certain games over the last few years. He seems to be getting it right more often than not now, and that bench enabled him to do that.
4: Yeah, and I mean, I think, look, I mean, it was good to see the two young lads on the bench in the sense that, like you say, getting a taste of the big day and all the rest of it, being in the dressing room and, and doing the warming up and all this sort of stuff that goes with being in the match day squad. Um, but yeah. Um, we don't want to be seeing those names kind of... I wouldn't say forced on us, but um, you you want the bigger names. And I think in the end, you you basically got four substitutions that pretty much the only four you were were likely to to sort of want to make out of what was in there. And I think that was it. I mean, the the team almost picked itself. There was that question mark over who got um, to play up front. Would it be Jota? Would it be Nunez? And I, I mean, I do think it was probably if anything, down to freshness for, for Darwin, um, maybe, maybe even a kind of sense of like not, not forcing him straight into it, giving him some, some time to get back, you know, get back home and get ready and not throw him in for 90 minutes in a derby. And I don't know, maybe also worries about, you know, he's got a bit too much of the sort of the South American temperament come back into him and he might sort of react too easily in a, in a derby if they're playing that way. Um, definitely think the back four most of us would have picked. Um, there, have, there have been shouts for whether Gomez could maybe play at left back, especially with us playing that kind of um, game where, where Trent's not part of the back four for, for big sections of the game. And the idea of having a sort of more centre back headed left sided defender um, might work. I know he's not left footed, but, you know, that was another option, I think. We might have seen, and in the end, we did see it kind of for the last bit of the game because yeah. you know we, we got the opportunity then to try that out. And at the start of the game, I was thinking, if this goes really well, we'll try these two young lads out. But in the end, what we got to try out was to see, you know, what Gomez was like, and that's something they can go and analyse now and see if that's, if that's a way forward. Because, um, I mean, people are worried about Costas, he he can be as good as Robo when everything's going well, but we still have those little, little worries about him, and I think that's fair enough. In midfield, McAllister as well, I think the fact we've not really got anyone other than Endo that you might say could kind of play I don't know the deepest part of midfield then it feels like this it it feels more and more to me that this has been a deliberate idea from the off (laughs) to kind of shape him into this type of player unless we've got someone lined up in in January which is another option then I think today you might as well keep going with the experiment um see how it goes because like you said putting Endo on would probably be more of a risk than sticking McAllister in that place and I can't really complain too much about him today. I think he had a couple of dodgy moments, but um, it does frustrate me though that we're kind of we're kind of weakening the talent to me. Keep mm. playing him back there, but if needs must, needs must. Um, I think, you know.
2: yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And now that you've brought that up, I just want to bring Dave in on this because again, this is something that I, I, I'm not sure. I've heard you talk about it for a while, but it was obviously one of those topics that everybody just went on about. So you have to address it on your daily shows. But more recently, uh, I've seen people, I mean, they're pulling out their fucking galaxy brains from under the desk (laughs) and plugging them in, Dave. And they're talking about, um, you know, how this idea of a number six is nonsense and uh, we don't need a number six. And if uh, McAllister does McAllister things, then it's fine. And I've seen long, lengthy arguments and uh, I'd I'd like to say articles, but I barely read anything anymore because... Yeah, it's not that good, and I just, I just, it's the, it's the debates between these. I don't know. Um, like I say, Galaxy Brain's the kindest thing I can come up with for um, people who are trying to suggest that we definitely don't need uh, a, a kind of a ball winning. Defensive midfielder, absolutely not, because you know we're we're fully equipped, and these are the kind of people who were cackling along with uh, Klappo and and certain others uh, in the wake of his like, what kind of midfielders do you want? We've got them all this time last season, and and I just think. I just think it it, it, it feels almost like a passive aggressive slap around my chops as someone who regularly says, well, we clearly wanted this type of player. We fucking nearly broke the bank for a certain uh, uh, type of player. We were linked with the likes of Ducouré so strongly that it's not a joke. So, uh, you know, we know we went for too many before. So we clearly are after these types of footballers. Maybe not. They don't necessarily have to be lads who go around kicking lads up in the air and just only win the ball. But lads who have a certain type of profile, it's not too much to say that we would benefit from one of those, at least in squad rotation, for fuck's sake. But it seems as if this justification process needs to go on. And I just find it really disingenuous, Dave. I really do. There's
3: some people that are just completely incapable of thinking for themselves. So they just decide that everything the club does is perfect and Jürgen can do no wrong. It's very clear that Jürgen wanted a holding midfielder. There's a reason we bid £111 million for Moises Caicedo to move him into that position with Dominic and Alexis flanking him. Like you said, we went all in on Choumeny a couple of years ago. There's a reason that when Jurgen Klopp has had success, he's had Fabinho, and before him he had Sven Bender at Dortmund, and before him he had Sebastian Keel, Defensive midfielders. There's a reason that when you look at the teams that have won the Premier League, you see Paul Ince, you see Tim Sherwood, you see Roy Keane, Emmanuel Petit, Roy Keane again, Patrick Vieira, Roy Keane again, uh, Gilberto Silva, Mac- Claude McAuley, Michael Carrick, John Obi Mikel. Now, he's lesser quality than all the rest, but played that role fairly well. Michael Carrick again, Fernandinho, Michael Carrick again, Fernandinho again, Nemanja Matic, N'Golo Kante, Engolo Kante, Fernandinho, Fabinho and Rodri. There's a reason... That when you look at the list of teams that have won the Premier League, with the lone exception of John Obie McHale, because Tim Sherwood, by the way, historically underrated as a player because he's a clown, but a very good holding midfielder. Even go back before that and look at the Liverpool teams and the Everton teams in the 80s. Look at the Leeds team that won the last Division One title before the Premier League with David Batty sat at the base of midfield. Look at the teams that have won the Champions League. Look at the teams who, won, who dominated La Liga with Busquets and Casemiro. There's a reason that all of these teams have had a great holding midfielder. And you can look back through the history of the game, go back through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s and the 90s, and every great team has a great holding midfielder. Every single fucking one of them. There's a reason that Man City lost Rodri for three domestic games and lost all three of them because he's their most important player. Fabinho was incredibly important to us when we won the European Cup and Premier League. When Henderson had the best run of his Liverpool career for four months in the title-winning season, he was playing in holding midfield and he was playing the best football we'd seen him play since the 13-14 season. And that helped us. This idea that, oh, we're looking for multifunctional midfielders because you read it in a Melissa Reddy piece? Yeah. What was the
2: phrase? What was the phrase? A progressive destroyer. What's the phrase?
3: some sort oh. of be a progressive destroy i there was it's it's a word salad it's word one of those salad. pseudo-intellectual phrases that doesn't actually have any meaning on the pitch it's like when people used to say glenn johnson gets us up the pitch or yes. jordan henderson <laughs> sets the tempo these are words that mean nothing chat
4: gpt's come up with that hasn't it
3: a hundred percent it has we won't win the league this year And the biggest reason we won't win the league this year is because we don't have a great holding midfielder. The biggest reason that Virgil had such a tough season last year is because the midfield disappeared. The biggest reason the midfield disappeared was because Fabinho fell off a cliff because the fella to his right had fallen off the cliff the year before. But we were able to carry him because Fab was still brilliant. And as soon as Fab wasn't brilliant, we fell apart. And we're getting away with Alexis in there right now. But there was even moments in that game today when De just drove past him, when Onana just drove past him. And they're the games you're going to have issues in. And and I disagree slightly with Jim because I think Endo's not good enough to start for Liverpool. Like, why we signed him, I don't know. He's a solid squad player, but that's about it. I don't understand why we gave him a four-year contract either. That just seems foolish. But this is what Jürgen wanted, so Jürgen got him. But I think Endo, defensively, is significantly better than Alexis. Now, you lose out quite a bit on the ball, but you gain off the ball. But for me, the gulf between Alexis and Gravenberg in that left-sided role, Would be quite significant because Bravenberg has been fine, and he was fine today. I saw people say he'd been our best player and been superb, but I thought, what the fuck are you watching? (laughs) He hasn't actually done anything.
4: He's Curtis Jones isn't Curtis Jones isn't watching from the sidelines thinking, oh shit.
3: Curtis is yeah. Curtis isn't sitting there all thinking, oh that's my run over. Curtis is thinking, well I'm back in the team straight away because Bravenberg just wasn't getting involved enough. He made no tackles in in his sixty minutes on the pitch. He completed thirty one passes. His
2: progressive passing was very crisp. You'd have to say that. But, but lovely ball It was sterile. Effect.
3: But it was sterile. Trev, what did he do with the ball? He got the ball and he just shifted it to Diaz. He just shifted it inside to Alexis. He didn't try to make anything happen. Harvey Elliott in 30 minutes had a much bigger impact on the game than Ryan Gravenberg did in 60 minutes. And oh, I want to see us give Gravenberg more of the ball because you can see the technical ability. You can see that when he looks up and scans, he sees everything. It's just that he's not when he gets the ball, he's he's not actually expressing himself the way Dominic is on the other side, the way Curtis does when he plays there, the way Alexis could when he played there, the way Dominic did when he went left side today. You'd like to see Gravenberg pick the ball up and drive at that defence and win a free kick, open things up, draw a defender out to you for Jota to run in behind him. But instead, it was all very sterile, very safe. And that's not what we want from him. That's not getting the best of him. And it's clearly not manager instructions either. Because if it was then Curtis would play that role exactly the same and Dominic would have played that role. I hate hearing this. It's what Klopp wants him to do. Then why does no one else who plays that role do it the same way? We heard the same shit about Henderson for years. Oh, he's doing what the manager wants him to do. Well, why did Fabinho, Emre Chan, and Ginny Wijnaldum play the six one way and he played it a different way? Why did Naby, Thiago, Ginny, Milner and Ox play the right-sided midfield role one way and he played it a totally different way? Because that's how he plays. It's not to do with the manager. Gravenberg hasn't done that today because the manager told him to. That's just where he is right now. This is a player that doesn't have his full confidence, that isn't up to speed. And yet he was fine, and he was neat and tidy, and it was. there's nothing to hugely criticize him for other than he leaves you wanting a lot more. You'd love to see him just be a little bit more aggressive on and off the ball. You want to see him be more aggressive. The guy's 6'3". He's a unit. Use that frame. Use that body. Use that size. Onana's 6'3", and he's powerhousing around the place. That's that, what that, you that's, want to his see his Bradford, height but he, in a more attacking view.
4: His height and his strength and that is one of the reasons I thought if you were going to choose between him and Elliot, whatever other other reasons you might have that straight away. Oh
3: yeah. A, oh no, yeah, like I, this, I would have rather see him little, started for certain. Yeah,
4: you know what I mean? You stick this, this big lad on who can um he can run and all the rest of it and he can cause problems. Um but he can hold his own. You know, if you're in uh, set piece situations and stuff, you'd hope you know, he's a decent lad to have in the box, isn't he? Waiting for the ball to come in. Um that's that's the kind of thing for this game, regardless of anything else, I kind of would have picked him over Elliot. Um, but you're right. And he's, he's a young lad, isn't he? He can still oh, be shaped. He can still be taught. They can still yeah. go and show him what he did right and wrong after this game. The, the bottom line is, we didn't buy him for this season. We bought oh, him for yeah. the next five to
3: six years. That's That's the thing. He's a kid. He's 21. So...
2: The, and, and the upshot is we got to see Harvey come on and be very, very impressive, um, very impressive. Uh, uh, which will stand him in tremendous stead on the back of his uh, really fancy showing for England as well. And we, we are absolutely spectacular, the three of us. 40 freaking minutes in, we haven't started talking <laughs> about the game. Let's do that. Um, we're not going to bother our arse with ref watch because a couple of things here, right? One is the general rule of football wisdom is that. In inverted commas, they even themselves up over the season, don't they? Now, we clearly know that's a heap of shit. All you've got to do is look at the league table, where we would now be sitting pretty three points clear of every fucker if only the referees weren't inept and the uh, corruption did not extend to uh, VAR lads looking after each other and looking after their colleague on the field, because that's what the only blemish on our season is so far as that loss to Tottenham, which was A complete robbery. So I'm not going to be one of these people who starts talking about them evening themselves up until we've got about 15 penalties in a row. Maybe then we can start talking about evening up. And Compared to Paulson, of the big decisions, I did think
3: he got them right.
2: So, so do I? And, and I think the most of the BT commentary was just for the sake of trying to drive a bit of controversy. Yeah. I don't I don't think there's too much you can argue about. Yeah. When I, none of them were in any way sort of gray area like the decisions that have gone against Liverpool. No, them. One thing has, I liked about him is he he gave himself thinking time. You hear ex yeah.
4: Refs talking about this a lot and he does my head in sometimes. But actually, you could see him waiting and thinking, right, what happened? OK, because you thought he wasn't going to give the cards. He took that long to yeah. do, but he was... He didn't he, he rush with the cards it with was it, yeah. good.
3: Yeah. But, like, there's no there's no debate over the Ashley Young. The two yellows are clear yellows. There's no and debate over the... someone said he already
4: had a warning for kicking the ball away just before that. Yeah,
3: he kicked, so. he, he kicked the ball away. He'd been booked, and then he booted the ball away when it ran out of play. And he should have been given a yellow for that, but Paulson managed the game and made the right decision. He's on a yellow. I'm not going to do a stupid thing and ruin a derby. I'm just going to give him a quick warning and tell him not to do it again. So that's that's for me. That's really good refereeing. The penalty that we got. I don't know how it took so long. The other one that I thought we should have got. He didn't actually see because VAR didn't send it back to him. The only one Everton fans can really crib about today is the Eboo one. And Paulson took his time on that. And he realized that Beto didn't have control of the ball. The ball went by Beto when Ibu caught him. Virgil had picked the ball up before Beto would have got to it. So therefore, it's not a yellow card. So I think he got all the decisions right. And I'm not a big fan of Craig Paulson. Uh, He's also the referee that Klopp had the tantrum at last year. and got in trouble over. And he he could have set out to screw us today. But I thought he did well.
2: He did back himself as well on that Ibu decision also immediately. You could see where he's going and his frame of mind and logic behind it. And to be honest, look, I, I'm, I'm you know, the old-fashioned way that we were talking about in the last show or the, or the show previous where you know a referee takes a beat and, and just says, okay, uh, I, this should be a red card, but I'm going to just give you a bollock and then continue the game. That's how we grew up with the game. People are not used to that now, but it is possibly a nice thing to see coming. But I think there's actually a uh, far more... Uh, a prosaic reason why he left ibu on the field and um, again it's more bt or tnt or whatever um, trying to rattle up the, the the tension and the controversy i think more than anything else The first half is an interesting thing because we begin with arguably the best opportunity that Everton had in the whole game right at the start of the game where McNeil managed to hook across a nice ball into the box and calvert Luna's is there um, and gets a free header, which goes tamely enough at Ali and that comes from them pretty much closing down our playing out from the back from a goal kick where Ali put the ball ball down and we tried to play away from the back. The usual thing that we do, hoping to they're they're gonna make a mistake. But actually it worked in their favor. They they get that um, little bit of a turnaround and it ends up with a decent opportunity for them in the very, very opening seconds which you know in that can have a massive bearing in a game. Three minutes in is a good move from us. Uh, Mo was just off a target. Um, uh, sorry, just offside. Um, at the end of that great move, and he ends up miscuing anyway. On six minutes, a great ball in by Simicus uh, left Pickford flapping a bit, uh, and we saw a nice move then uh, within seconds uh, involving Gravenberg, where I thought we looked pretty decent led to a corner from which nothing accrued. Another great break on 12, uh, and Young, to be fair, did some savage tracking back and got a foot in uh, to prevent uh, Diaz being in on their goal. That led to a corner from, again, we got nothing from that corner and I'm building up here and I'm going to come to you in this opening part here we'll go all the way to the sending off I'm building up Dave to talking about a few of our players and in this opening part as well I'm curious to see just what you think we should probably focus a little bit on Simicus because he does get the hook later on and it's I'd be interested to think to hear what you think about how he got on here um, there was a decent break on 16 minutes but Luis Diaz ball in towards two or three people found nobody uh, and Onana did very well to get back again um, he looks, like we said earlier on, quite bright and mobile. 17 minutes in, uh, Young picks up the first of his yellow cards for a foul on Luis Diaz. Now, to be fair to Everton, at that point, I've noted what we 17, 18 minutes in. In that first 20 odd minutes, they were really, really sharp with their foot in and defensive work. I really, I have to say, they we 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 couldn't create anything of note at all. Um, we had a free central on 21 minutes. The wall blocked a Trent shot. Uh, mole cut mole kind of rolled it with the sole of his boot to him after him and Dom and uh, um, and Trent had been eyeing it up um, eagerly between them. 26 minutes we saw Mo rolling McNeil and getting a shot, that classic Mo Salah shot o- over on the right hand side curled towards the far corner and just over the top uh, and we see a- another yellow this time for Tarkovsky on Gravenberg who, uh, say what you like about him, draws a lot of fouls. 33 minutes in McAllister with a long range half volley really viciously hit Pickford's again. Again, flapping at it a bit. And then we get to this moment where we're going to pause it. This is where Young picks up his second foul. Again, it's on Luis Diaz, the second yellow. Pardon me for a foul on Luis Diaz again. Um, it, it's, it's a red. Uh, he takes his takes time. He gives the red. That's 36 minutes in. Um, to be fair, I thought they were both two Stonewall yellows. You may disagree, Dave. On that opening half hour, 35 minutes, i um, your overall thoughts and maybe fold in what you would if you could about Simicus because uh he does kind of come into a little bit more but that's about the height of it. It, it. It's not a great showing from in that first half in terms of um planting a flag out of thought. So your overall thoughts?
3: I'll start with young. Um the the first one is Stonewall. Diaz just knocks it past him And he's late and he catches him knee to knee. It's a stonewall yellow card. There's no arguments to be made about it. And from the moment he gets that first yellow, I'm literally screaming at the TV to give it to Diaz and run at him and get him backing up and see if you can get him to lunge. Because he's that bit older now, he's not as as mobile, he's not as quick with his with his with his feet. So you knew if Diaz could get. Get the ball close to him and lure him. Diaz is quick enough feet to knock at one side and potentially draw a foul and get a second yellow on him. And we went away from it for too long. Now Tarkovsky picks up the yellow and you, you're then screaming at us to, you know, try and force the issue. They're in both of their right sided defenders are on yellows. Feed it left, feed it left. Get Gravenberg, get Diaz to run at them and draw them out and draw fouls from them. Because they're both the type of defenders Who will commit to a tackle And thankfully Diaz Eventually does it Shifts the ball really well Gets towards the touchline And that's what I want to see from Diaz There's a lot of things Diaz does that frustrates me When he comes in Field too often when When he just doesn't take on that fullback He maybe has one go at him Doesn't get any change And just gives up on it But he went back to it again It's a blatant foul. It's a clear yellow card. I can't see how he can have any complaints, especially when he's already been given a warning for kicking the ball away. So I can't see how he can have any complaints. And he walks off in a huff and he screams at the fourth official, who had absolutely nothing to do with with anything. The fourth official isn't the one who caused you to make two bad tackles and get two yellow cards. Dyche is having a tantrum, but There's no complaints they can have over this. They're two blatant yellow cards. It's a red card. Off you go, son. Um, As far as Liverpool in that first 35 minutes, wasteful is what comes to mind. The final ball was just off time and time again. We had two or three really good counter attacks where we had like 3v2 and 4v2 advantages. And the final ball just wasn't there. Diaz had one that was just... He underheaded He needed to play it into Mo's path, and he kind of played it into Mo's feet. If he played it in front of him. Mo just runs on and hits it. And it was getting frustrating. You know, the, the Dominic's final ball wasn't great. Trent's final ball wasn't great. There was a lot of good play in the middle third from us, and I thought we were doing a really good job at kind of snapping into tackles early. Alexis and Dominic and Trent and the, the Fords tracking back in and we were winning the ball back and turning them over and our defense after those shaky, maybe first 60 seconds or so, I thought Virgil just settled in. I thought Virgil was imperious today. Ibu had a bit of a shaky one, but it was just frustrating because we were clearly the better team. You felt like a goal would come, but it was one of them where, you know, you're thinking this this might be a long afternoon where we don't score till the 70th minute. And as it turns out, that's what it was, the 75th minute or whatever. But that was with 11 men. When they went down to 10, you were kind of hoping it would come sooner. In terms of Costas, it's tough. The first delivery he had was exceptional. And you mentioned it. Pickford came out and flapped at it and made a mess of it. And he had one other really good one from a set piece. And then it all went really badly. The thing with Costas is, Costas is really good at crossing on the run. So if you play the ball into his path and he can run onto it, take a touch out of his feet and whip the ball, that's where Costas excels. Where Costas isn't good is when he's been been asked to kind of initiate that attack. When he's been asked to be a part of the build-up. He really needs to be just on the end of things to whip whip the ball in. His passing's not very good. It's a little bit loose. He doesn't have like an explosive first step. So when defenders get close to him, he can't really create any separation for them. So he ends up turning back and feeding it back to Virgil. And that kind of stuff will always get the crowd a little bit annoyed. And like the crowd wasn't great today. And it's never going to be for a 12.30 kickoff because half of them are asleep. And no one's had a had a pint, so they're not even in a jolly mood. They're just thinking about the fact that this is 12.30. Why are we at a football game and this should be on later in the day? Like, why are we on at 12.30? And Sheffield United and United's on at 8 o'clock tonight. Um, but yeah, I, I felt sorry for Costas because I don't think he was that bad. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others, on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable Hosted by Tadewa, You know Tadewa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable. there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index. And follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. He just wasn't good. The problem is Costas is still being compared to Andy Robertson circa 2017 to 2022 and not Andy Robertson of 22 to now. And the gap between them isn't big. Robbo's decision-making and his final ball have dropped off significantly. Defensively, he's dropped off significantly. But Robbo still plays with that fucking hair on fire type of nature to him. And that gets people excited because it looks like he's, you know, really involved and he's doing good things. But when you boil it down, like the difference between Costas's performance today and some of what we've seen from Robertson this season wasn't massive. Wasn't massive at all. The issue for Costas was he made a couple of silly fouls and the ref got on at him. And his teammates started to get at him. Virgil was barking at him. There was one on Harrison where Harrison plays the ball like 10 yards inside our half over on the touchline. No danger at all. Plays a sidewards pass into Garner or Onana. And Costas is just late and catches him. And he didn't need to make the challenge. And Virgil, Virgil roared at him. And you could see him get really flustered. And Klopp was barking at him as well. And I think his head just went a little bit. And he just looked a shell of himself from then on, whereas up until that point, he'd been okay. It was just, I think his head just went a little bit. This is why he's not the first choice, because if we had another really good left back at the club, I think Robert would have played a lot less over the last two years because he has declined, but they watch Costas in training every day. We We see him when he plays. Part of it is he comes in cold into the team and he's, it takes him a few games to get up to speed, but he gets one opportunity and then he's out the team. It's the same that used to happen to Ox. Like, if Ox got three games in a row, the first one would be bad, the second one would be okay, and the third one would be great. The problem was, after that first one, Klopp would often just take him back out of the team, put Henderson back in. Before- the same thing at left-back.
2: Before I let you go on this, because I do need to b- barrel on with the rest of the game, the the decision to hook him, though, has to f- factor into this conversation. You might as well have it now. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know about that. It, 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 does that strike you as the kind of thing that's going to help a lad keep his, um, keep his confidence? It won't
3: help his confidence, but it was oh. the right thing for the team. Yeah. Like, yep. he, Klopp can explain it to him in, in, in terms of, look, we, we were going all out attack. So one of the defenders had to come off, and it couldn't be Eboo or Virgil. So it had to be you. And it's not like a thing that we took him off and replaced him with another left back. So I don't think it will hammer him as bad. If, if we'd taken him off and put Callum Scanlon on, who's 18, in, in as another left back, I think that, or even Joe Gomez, I think that would have damaged his confidence a lot more.
4: Yeah, but, Yeah. when you're saying to him, we're playing two four four now. Yeah, like, that's exactly okay, it. But isn't the life back in that, is there? Okay. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah. we're going to at the back, lad, right.
3: <laughs>
1: Like The other necessary. factor
3: in it might be that he might have to play in midweek in the Europa League. So maybe he knew he was only going to get 60. Maybe the plan was Gomez on on 60. And then just the state of the game made it so that we had to br- bring on Harvey and go more attacking. Costas might have already known he was only getting 60 because we've got Europa League in the week. And Klopp might not be ready to throw in Callum Scanlon because Luke Chambers is also injured. So the only two left backs we have fit are Costas and an 18-year-old kid who I think has played once for the first team as a sub. So that might have factored into it as well.
2: I think so. The rest of the first half post the sending off, you'd like to have seen us turn the screw. And I guess there were efforts made. There was a good break in 39 minutes, uh, um, and Trent has a half volley on that um, p- period of, of time, just over the top from about 25 yards. McNeil, however, has a good turn and shot in 40 minutes, and it's deflected just over the corner, comes in and Ali takes it very safely. We see another good move there where Trent plays a dangerous ball, across the face of goal again nobody there a dangerous corner by Simicus again nobody there Uh, 44 minutes Dom has a shot off target uh, from distance Uh, they add 2 minutes to the first half which is interesting considering they add 9 to the second Um, Pickford puts a ball over the top to Calvert-Lewin and he's nearly in just at the death of that first half in the injury time and then Dominic has another decent dig cuts in and shoots narrowly over on 48 minutes and Jim to start the second half Half with yourself and we'll take it all the way up as far as where we go one up and um, they make some changes and the way they decide to go is to bring on Keenan Patterson for McNeil and Harrison and it's obvious from that what it is that um, Daishi is intending uh, you don't need to be um, too profound a reader of the game to see that he's looking to uh, hold on to the, 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 the status as, as it was at 0-0 and maybe see could they nick something on a, on a set piece or whatever. Um, Ibu Kanate very um, importantly picks up a yellow card on 50 minutes uh, high in their half actually he's stopping a potential counter attack whether it was necessary or not, I'm not sure considering how far up the field he was but he does it anyway 51 minutes there's a couple of chances for both Mo and Gravenberg shots successively blocked by Tarkovsky actually I think he got both of them which led to a corner the ball broke to Trent his shot was blocked and it looked as if we might be turning the screw a little bit Onana falls over the hoardings in 56 minutes and spent about seven hours down there, clearly wasting time. Uh, he got up, there wasn't a bother on him, and you could tell when you saw the replay that there wasn't going to be a bother on him, but it looked uh, as if there was um, massive alerts, and I think half of that nine minutes was added on for Onana uh, hanging out in the hoardings. Um, on 60 minutes, they bring on Beto for Calvert-Lewin, which is pretty much a straight swap, and we bring on Darwin and Harvey for Grafenberg and Simicus, and we've already kind of flagged up that simicus change. Um, but it's incredibly uh, in the way that Klopp sounded, I think unintentionally arrogant when he was asked in the presser about the run against Everton. And he said, "Oh, one win. And however many 18, he says, Oh, it's one too many. Uh, in that casual arrogance, again, seemed to come across here in these, uh, substitutions. It's, it is mad. It It is basically flagging up. We're going to go to at the back, which you've got to love. Um, these wanted ibu sent off then on 64 minutes it is a cynical foul that he that he that he does to break up uh, a a a break for them on 64 minutes and i think you wouldn't have been surprised to see him walk, uh, especially the way things have gone for us this season. And possibly you could say that he should have walked. Um, our manager reacted to it quite quickly. Uh, there is a token effort in between from Darwin on about 65 minutes, but on 65 minutes as well, Joel is brought straight on for Ibu Kanate. And for once, I actually found myself in agreement with the dopes on, on, on the tele commentary because that's clearly what, let's get that lad off quickly. Um, I don't think that was a sub that was in, intended, on, if it hadn't been for um, Ibu clearly getting away with one, um, and we don't need anyone walking any kind of tightrope in a derby if you don't have to have that. Daesh got a yellow card for having a moan about that decision, and at that point, Jim, and you might factor this into your into your conversation as well because you've been at the at the ground more than any of us. And it, Anfield was like it, Dave has rationalised why, and it's perfectly perfectly, I'm perfectly in agreement with it. But it it was kind of almost embarrassingly quiet at times in the kind of way that you just go, maybe somebody do something. It, it, it just felt oppressively quiet on about the 70 minute mark. And we saw then, I think Dave had, uh, I was t- talking about this one earlier on when he talked about the other penalty shout Patterson on Luis Diaz on 71 minutes. It goes to VAR, no penalties given. Now the replays Jim would suggest that Patterson doesn't make any contact with the ball at all but does make contact with Diaz Now Diaz might have exaggerated the last little bit of his fall but to me it's it looks very much like a penalty and I'm I've, in my ear, I've got Rio Ferdinand and Ali McCoy saying, ah, it's very soft, but that's what an eighties footballer would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, again, interesting to hear what you think on that. There's another penalty shout, uh, on, uh, 72 minutes. Uh, and this time uh, it is given it's a handball by Keane. Um, and, the, again, the, the 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 old boys in on the commentary were talking about how it's harsh. He has his arm outstretched. Um, he doesn't make any sort of jerking motion to try and take it away, which you quite often see when a ball is coming, or to pull the arm into him, which you quite often see when a ball is coming. So if you're holding your arm out. Um, I think it's it's fair game for that penalty decision to be given. That's my take on it. VAR sends Paulson to the monitor and he decides it is a penalty, which Mo absolutely hammers home with great aplomb. Up to that point, Jim, your thoughts, anything you want to pick out of that in particular?
4: Yeah, I mean another penalty incident as well, which I, I I don't think it was a penalty, but we didn't see a proper replay. It was right at the end of the first half when Jota went on a little fancy little run yes. and then got brought down in the yeah. box. And that was one of those where they said, Oh yeah, I will check it. And to me there wasn't enough time from when the ball went dead and he blew blew for half time. And the players already starting to go off the pitch for them to have actually checked it. So I'd like to know if they did. Because we I don't think we got to see a replay. That that might just be because a rep had blown and T V had gone into the full on. Um let's just talk about the end of the match and zoom in on different players mode, you know, that like they kinda do. But I don't know, maybe maybe I, I don't in real time it didn't feel to me it was going to be a pen, but I just feel like shouldn't it have been checked? Um and again, yeah, with, with Diaz, I think that's yeah, it's one of those that the pundits like to say I've seen them given. Um And again, it's one of those moments where you think, is this one of those clear and obvious things where, is it clear and obvious enough to say, you might have got it wrong, ref, go and have another look? Um, and that's, I think, one of the frustrations um, with VAR because, you know, refs are going to miss things, like the ref missed that handball. But having another look, at it says, well, maybe if you'd have seen it from that angle, you would have thought differently. So why don't you go and get this chance to go and have a look? Um, I don't think we send them to the screens enough. Um, you know, sending them to the to the screens doesn't have to be to say, you definitely got it wrong. Look, sending them to the screen is saying, you might have got it wrong. Why don't you have another look and see if you're still OK with what you said? so to me that whatever it was as a decision why wasn't he sent to the screen as it was i don't think anyone watching any tv replay of that handball could have possibly said that that was a a harsh handball in the sense of what the what the laws of the game are that was you know a, a stonewall of penalties you're going to get with the way handball is is um is ruled these days and i think you know if 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 players were wearing sort of fireproof suits but their hands weren't and their arms weren't covered in this fireproof stuff and there was a fireball coming at them, you you would definitely get your hand out of the way (laughs) more than he did today. You know? And and that, to me, you might get your hand out of the way and still he still hits you, but he's not even trying. And I think you've just got to say, shit, I've been done there, but that's my own fault. You know, it's you can't argue with it. It was it was one and one hundred percent a pen. Um, I can imagine why they were arguing, obviously, because they're now in the full on the rest against us that we're hard done to. It just proves the whole world hates Everton. All of this stuff they're coming out with, and you can imagine it. Um, and it was good to see see Mo just come up and just um completely ignore the markings on the side of the bottle of um of the keeper and just oh. you know not being phased whatsoever that the Lucas bottle might say you know oh. Goes right or something, just smashes it right into that corner. And you know, a small armed goalkeeper's never going to get that, is he? So, um, I just love that the, the way we did it. The other thing, just quickly on the crowd though, first half, I'm thinking there is a low atmosphere, and, the, and, and they were talking as well, saying it was a bad atmosphere. But it's like someone watching it with me, my daughter was watching it with me, she's saying there's times when she's noticed the commentators seem to kind of shouting a little bit over the noise at times. I wonder. And people who have been lucky enough to go to the game today. Certainly no one who had a upper Anfield Road ticket. I'm not counting you, obviously, sadly. Um, if you were at the game today, I'd like to know, was the crowd as quiet as it seemed to us on TV? Because there were just times when I thought, there was one moment when Everton were absolutely screaming about some decision that had gone against them. And it was so quiet, the volume, yet you know they were so much louder than that. I mean, you've been to Anfield, the away fans can be loud because the concentrated in one little area, all the noisy fans kind of go into one area, whereas at Anfield, when you're at home, your, fan, your noisy fans are kind of spread out, aren't they? And it doesn't have the same intensity. Um, and there's one other bit as well where they were showing different clips from different parts of the stands, and it was louder while they sort of, you know, homed in on that view. I think they had the volume lowered because maybe, I don't know, maybe they're worried about too many shouts of blue shite and other bits of language, but... I, I'm not saying it was as loud as it could have been for a derby. There was definitely a half twelve. People have got hangovers or can't be asked attitude, but that's understandable. But I still think it was louder than it came across. So uh, I might be wrong. It's a bit of a theory, but I'd
2: love to. Love to no, know I think, the
4: people who got there, you know.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good shout. Actually, I think that's a really good shout because that would be that does make sense. That uh, not necessarily even done in a cynical way, uh, but that the, there could be some sort of volume adjustment things because you know I, again uh, comparatively a uh, flat atmosphere, there's still always something going on in the background. There's always somebody trying to get a song going. It just, at times was so oppressively quiet that I think yeah. there might be something like that going on in terms of volume adjustment. Um, and Dave, to see the game out with yourself, uh, then I'll go back to Jim for his final thoughts and we'll finish with yours uh, there is a little bit of incident left for us to talk about uh, I know you'll probably want to go back uh, and have a, a chat about one or two of the other things so feel free maybe uh, you can either wrap that in now or if you want to k- save it for your final thoughts uh, at the end Um Another one of the Everton bench get a yellow um, for Moaning at that point. I'm not sure who it was. Um, and I thought at this point of another then that I thought Harvey Elliott was beyond impressive when he came on. Just so assertive, forward, forward, uh, f- front foot sort of stuff. But really, really outrageously fantastic touch, control, all the things you know Harvey Elliott has. And again, exclusively operating in an attacking context. So if I had a case, I would rest it. This is a wonderful footballer when he gets a chance to do the things that he's good at. Um, Dan Juma brought on for Onana, Joe Gomez brought on for Luis Diaz, both on the 79th minute. We see a header from a Dom corner by Jota. Darwin drives element him and has a dangerous cross deflected behind at the near post um, on 86. They bring on Chermiti for Mikalenko on 87. Uh, another effort from Harvey, this time from distance on 89. Really, really good They Lovely cut in and hit, and it's just going under the bar. Fantastic uh, effort by the tiny armed wonder to get his paws to it and tip it over for a corner, which we again got nothing from. Um, Um, I must check that stat because it seemed like we got lots of corners and very, very little joy from any of them. Nine minutes added. Um, On 91, Jot had a decent run at goal um, and blasted into the near post rigging when really Mm. he should have pulled it back. Darwin at least was inside. Now, at this point, I've written down, oh my God, Mo Salah is so, so poor today. Like, wow, I've written that down. Um, It's almost as if every single time either Michalenko or whoever he was up against was going to get a foot in. Anything he tried. And at this point, um, he basically blows a great counter in 93 minutes um, from their big moment corner that they got in 92 or 93 minutes. And we break... And Mo fluffs his lines and we're, we're, we should have like killed it at that point. There is a chance on 95, Dom with a nice dribble and shot over the top. But it is Mo Salah doing Mo Salah things to wrap the game up on 96 minutes. Now, it is a beautiful finish for him, a sweeping finish with the inside of his left foot coming from the left I come from the right towards the centre, but the ball is made or the goal is made by a fantastic ball out of defence to Darwin Nunes, who carries, 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 and then Dave, the final ball that we've been going on about for so long in this yeah. game. Was actually good for once. Not good, perfect, beautifully executed pass from Darwin. The perfect assist rolls it right into Mo's path. He can step onto it and stroke it with the inside of his foot. And when he gets a chance to do that with his good foot, he's not going to fucking miss. Like he's not going to miss a penalty. And it's a great goal. And again, puts a kind of a gloss on it that I don't think we are undeserving of on the overall balance of play.
3: No, I think 2 0 was absolutely fair. Um, Just to go back quickly on the penalty, I don't know how how it took them so long to make that decision. Like That is a stonewall of penalties you're going to find. Keane is a full two yards away. And before Diaz kicks the ball, Keane's arm is already extended, making himself bigger. So it's stonewall. Um, Secondly, the camera... I I had the because I, cause I refuse to watch anything that involves Rio Ferdinand because he it, it, it just pisses me off so much. There's not many players in the history of the game as deluded about what they were as a player as Rio Ferdinand, who seems to think that the centre back all time list goes Franco Baresi and then him. Yeah, yeah. I'd love someone to to do a retrospective look with Rio on his career and show him the copious amounts of mistakes that he made. That Nemanja Matic carried them through for years. But that's by the by. So I watched it on the USA Network. And I had the joy of Jim Beglin on commentary. Now, Jim Beglin, obviously, ex-red, who tries very hard to make up for the fact that he's an ex-red by being an absolute prick towards the Reds. So, people can't say he's biased. I think, I assume years ago when he was a good commentator, people used to say he leaned too heavily Liverpool and now he's gone all the way in the other direction. But he tried to make out that it was, oh, it was, it's a tough one. It, it, proximity, pro, he just kept saying proximity. The guy's two yards away. He has time to get his arm out of the way. But when the penalty was given, the camera behind the goal panned to Pickford's water bottle, where he clearly stuck some information regarding where Salah likes to shoot. And I think there was one for Nunes as well. There was definitely two different ones and it showed to the right. As you look at the goal to the right-hand side. So as Mo was striking it to Mo's right-hand side, that was lit up in green, clearly showing this is where he likes to shoot. (laughs) Right. And the other commentator goes, I bet he's thirsty. I bet he goes for a drink, as in, like, he's going to check his water bottles. He goes over. There he is. And he picks up a different bottle. Oh, he's picked up a different water bottle. And then Pickford, like, goes the other way and ends up stood in the middle, ignoring all the research he's done that this idiot on commentary has just been loading him over. It's just, oh, you couldn't write it. Anyway, we deserve to be one up. We then blew two really good chances. There's the one that Moe blows. And then there's the one that Dominic makes a mess of, where he does really well and works himself into a really good position and just needs to slide it to Darwin, who's unmarked seven yards from goal. And instead he takes a shot and makes a hames of it. Um, What else? The Harvey shot. It's a good dig, without question. It's a very simple save for Pickford. Like you or me would save that because it's, it's dead center. It's right out He me. Just yeah. to put his
2: arms up. It's central. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And they tried to make out that that was, you know, a hallmark save for an international caliber goalkeeper, which was well, just really weird.
2: It's probably a hallmark save for him. You, you can put your arm up. I put my arm up. We're going to reach that quite comfortably. Yeah, it's, true. it's a big it's effort true. for pictures, It's a, it's
3: like, a big, <laughs> big, big effort for him. He's going to jump and get those little arms up.
4: Um, <laughs> So the, put his the, long, the, he put his long-fingered gloves on today. Look <laughs>
3: <you>. <laughs> <laughs> he's got chopsticks glued to his fingers. He puts on bigger gloves. Um, but the, the 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 second goal, like it's a lovely. I'm not sure who plays the ball to Darwin. Is it Alexis that gets it clear to Darwin?
2: I'm not sure. I want to find that out myself. And either.
3: Darwin does brilliantly. I mean, he does absolutely brilliantly. He drives and he drives and he drives and he makes it so the defender doesn't know what he's going to do. He doesn't try and come more central. He doesn't go wide. He just drives straight. And he makes that defender choose, are you going to come to me or are you going to stay with Salah? And he waits until that defender thinks, fuck it, I've got to go to him now. And he slides the perfect ball to Mo, perfect weight, and Mo just knocks it home. And I saw someone, I can't think who, apologies. Someone on Twitter said, last season Darwin makes a mess of that. He overhits the pass or underhits it or puts it behind Mo or something. This shows the development in Darwin's game. And I thought he did well when he came on. I thought him and Harvey did really, really well when they came on. Harvey was very involved in a a lot of good stuff. Um, And look, we fully deserved the win. The the last thing, two things. Uh, When the referee blew his whistle, there was definitely at least 30 seconds left. But Darwin plays the ball to Harvey. And Harvey is literally in on goal with Mo to square it to if he wants to. So the ref saved them from conceding a third with that final whistle. And the other thing that I wanted to mention was when Deich got booked. I don't know if you saw it. I don't know if the, he turns around and he starts. You know that thing people do where they throw their arms out and they're like, they're looking for support. And he's pleading with his own bench. Like, can you believe he's done that? And he's looking for support anywhere with his arms outstretched. And the camera goes to Ben Godfrey, Chermeti and Dajuba, who are all just sitting there looking at him like thinking, you're a fucking gammon. Shut up <laughs> and put a jumper on. It's October. It's <laughs> Baltic. And you're standing there in a shirt with some weird pin on your tie and your, your black armband. Put a jumper on, you gimp.
4: Your nipples are showing, man. I don't know if they were. Literally. (laughs) What is he doing? What is this
3: insistence on trying to prove he's just tougher than everybody else? He's just well. Wearing a shirt. Like, (laughs) at least put a suit jacket on.
2: (laughs) I've just seen a picture. I've just seen a picture of him in that exact outfit. A still from today. I don't know why they've got a still from today. um, Attached to an article from October the 20th. That's yesterday. And the headline from Rich Jolly is, has... (gasps) Has uh, 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 what's who, who are we talking about? What's his name again? John Dyche has Dush turned Everton into a better attacking team than Liverpool. I mean, that's impressive, you have to say. That is impressive. Uh,
3: uh Barry has just put something in the chat. Bobby Charlton seemingly has passed away. Oh, really? Oh, that's very, very sad. I mean, he, he was 86, so he had a good innings, but. Bobby Charlton is one of the greatest footballers to ever live. Certainly, one of the greatest English players. Is not the greatest English player of all time. An incredible servant for United, for England. That's very sad. There'll yeah, really be He's a lot of
4: Liverpool players and, and ex-reds from who played against him, or you know, or even looked up to him because he, he comes from a different era of the game, yeah. doesn't he? When I don't know, there was a different respect, maybe, you know. Well, I mean, you two clubs,
2: so. it, it's exactly that. The fellow always carried himself with incredible sort of dignity, I thought. I mean, he's kind of fellow you wanted to listen to yeah. uh, when he had something to say. But then uh, I think an awful lot of people, the name will just be a name like Bobby Robson or whatever. And it not, doesn't necessarily, they won't associate this with one of the best footballers ever. Genuinely, one one of the greatest. Yeah, two hundred and two
3: hundred and forty nine goals for United in seven hundred and fifty eight games. Not bad out, for a midfielder. That's outrageous! Like it's absolute outrageous. rocket launchers for feet. Could could shoot off both feet from anywhere within forty yards. Always available, forty fifty games every single season. Like I said, part of that England team that won the the World Cup in sixty six. And for for those of us of of an Irish persuasion, obviously, he's Jack Charlton's brother. And Jack is is a hero to all of us, um, and obviously we lost Jack a few years ago as well. Very very sad to see, but I, I know he had been he'd been diagnosed with dementia back in in 2020, shortly after Jack passed away, and of course Jack had had dementia as well. So you you never like to see a, anyone suffer with with a, a, an ailment like that. So you know at least at least now he's away to a better place. But that that's just very sad news to get of a of a Saturday afternoon
2: well for sure and and, and for what it's worth um, uh, all we can do is is uh, nod respectfully because that's, uh, that's that's a hell of a loss to, to football in general and as we bring things to a close Jim um, we might as well start getting our own wrap up thoughts on what's occurred today in the Liverpool Everton game um, what kind of takeaway have you got what kind of wrap up thoughts what kind of final insights
4: have you got for us I think one of the things, firstly, just to say on Bobby Charlton, is that he wouldn't want us to sort of be all sad and everything and not consider, not continue being football fans and enjoying a great win that we've had today against our old rivals. He'd have been, you know, he's he's sat in front of so many Manchester derbies and and felt all of that, but, you know, looking and I think he's been been a kind of voice for Manchester United sitting in the stands to kind of remind them not to go too far away from, from where they should, and I think they have, but you know, maybe they would have gone even further away if people like him weren't in the box. But but from us today, I mean, I think you said earlier on, corners 12 we didn't make enough of them. And I don't think we made enough um, attempts to win set pieces because I, I was thinking when Diaz, when Diaz got, got brought down in the box, whether it was a penalty or not, why haven't we had more of those questions? Why weren't we asking those questions more often? And I think that's something we need to look at, you know, is, you know, maybe too many, too many shots from distance today, maybe too many passes, you know, maybe... We needed to just get that ball into that box and run at them a little bit more because we've got players with the skill to do that. And the worst thing that happens maybe is you get a corner or, you you know, the best thing that happens is you get a a goal and sometimes penalties will be thrown in in the middle of all of that. And to me, we didn't do enough of that today, especially when they were down to 10 and they were sort of, you know, packing the box. Let's, Let's try a little bit more running into the box and even running out the box and getting free kicks from outside. I'm not sure, I've not checked what the set pieces stats were, but to me... You know, in that kind of game, we, we could have asked lots more questions of them in that sense. But ultimately, though, we won. Um, I think 67 minutes I wrote down, there was no urgency, no no knowledge from the crowd, albeit possibly turned down. And I think, you know, that was that was to me was almost what, what was the problem today was they came not really looking for a win anyway. And then definitely weren't looking for it after that. But we didn't really put take them to the sword once they went down to 10. And I'd like to see us do that more often in future. But on the other hand, I'm thinking, did we do? Are we just being really efficient? Are we doing just enough? I mean, the game against Spurs was, was a was a travesty because of what happened with the ref. Um the last game against Brighton, we didn't do enough. You know, we were too we weren't efficient enough then, I don't think, and that's why that ended 2 2. But maybe today that's what we're doing. Well we shouldn't be. You know, I'd rather not just be just about efficient enough. I want us to win games 3-0, not one nil, not two nil, not two one. I want us to win games three nil, four-nil, five-nil. Um and I think we can do it. So I just like to see us sort of get, have a bit more urgency early on. And if the crowd was quiet today, um, and I get it early kickoff and all the rest of it, you, you, you sort of feed off each other. You know, the crowd can make a noise, but the players have to make them make a noise. And then, you know, it, there's this kind of feedback thing, this, this loop back that you do it together. That's why the crowd would call the 12th man the part of the team. And if you're sort of leaving them out there stood on their own, not do, not passing the ball to them, so to speak, they can't yeah. do anything with it, can they? Yeah. Um. I like the way Harvey got used today as well. I thought people are always saying what's the best place for him, you know? Is it can he play in midfield? Can he play up front? And we don't really know where where to play him, but we know he's a talent. And I think today it kind of worked in the sense that we had an extra spot in the team, didn't we? Um. You know, we had a player over, and when people say like you've got the extra man, to me it felt like he was our extra man once. He came on today, He did a lot, a lot of good, um, a lot of promise, and it was a shame that one didn't go in because that was a hell of an effort. Um, and in the end, it did just curl a little bit too easily for the short arm man to get. Um, and also one one other thing on Darwin as well, he gets a lot of criticism. Um, everyone talks about the the, the so called sitters he misses, um, which aren't always as much of a sitter as people make out, but a Liverpool striker we don't want a number nine who just sort of hangs around the box and waits for his chance we've never had that Ian Rush was never that there was always more to his game um, that goal today for Diaz uh, that goal today that Nunes set up for Salah was a, was an example of that I mean we, we look at Diaz and we think we don't just think of him as someone who's there to score goals we think of him as someone who's there to cause trouble and cause chaos maybe score goals maybe create goals maybe create situations that lead to goals and I think Darwin's got that in him too and I think His composure on that break at the end, it could have so easily gone another way. And as you say, he's he's growing into it. He's a young player, and he's learning. He's learning. He's learning. We've got a hell of a gem there, I still think. Um, And he's loved at Anfield. And I think, you know, that was just... You know, I'd like them to start focusing today on whether or not it was a second yellow. On whether or not Canate should have gone. I don't think he should. It wasn't a second yellow, in my opinion. You wouldn't have got a yellow for that 10 minutes in. We didn't already have a yellow. You'd have been told off, probably. Not yellowed. Um, But instead of focusing on all that, focus on what was good. You know, there was some good stuff in there. Not enough from Liverpool, maybe. Took a bit too long, maybe. But even just have a look at that, that. That break from Liverpool and Nunes' composure. And, of course... You know, as we said, Salah's not had the best game at all. But you know what? The thing about having Salah is even when he doesn't have a good game, he can do stuff like that. Because not every player would still have sort of finished that off. But
2: he just knew when that got to Salah that was going in. And in terms of what's coming for you for the week, Jim, more stuff with you and Jay.
4: Yeah, hopefully. Um, I'm not sure if we can actually get something together to do Scouts of Tommy's this week, which is a shame. But we'll definitely cover that derby the next time we get together. So if it's not this week, it'll be next week. But we're going to see what we can do. Um and we've still got the other uh, Scouter Tommy, from last time where we sh- share some of our views on um, the debacle over the Anfield Road upper tier, um, which, you know, is a story in itself. It needs, you know, <laughs> the club needs to take a long, hard good look at themselves over that and maybe start telling a little bit more truth.
0: I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with libertyshield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want,
2: After your teaser at the end of the previous one, I was really looking forward (laughs) to hearing the two of you go at it. And uh, it's a great show and um, people should be obviously getting their ears around that. So thanks for that, Jim. And Dave, just before we get into your final thoughts, I've just had an absolute flashback moment. Um, you might be aware of this as a phenomenon when you were growing up as a kid, but I think it was 87, I was 13 or 14. And I went to a Bobby Charlton soccer school. It was yes. at century. They were quite a thing. And I was elected now because um, honestly, we were we were not we were poor uh, but i don't know how we managed it we did and i got to go to this thing and it was all drilled and the big the great man himself was there doing bits and it was absolutely fantastic and you just felt like you know you got a bib uh which you know was unusual and you got like yeah, yeah, there was a maybe i think there were some t-shirts of token teachers stuff like that but the point was one of the greats of the game was there telling you how to Take a corner or, you know, uh, do a drill or whatever. And it was just an amazing thing to be yeah. part of. I remember it now uh, very, very fondly. But I, it's amazing. I it, it, it had gotten lost in the mists of uh, half a century of memories. But um, just wanted to flag that up. Your own um, wrap ups on today's events, Dave.
3: Yeah, Bobby. Bobby ran the soccer schools for years. As far as I know, the soccer school still exists and still is named in his honor. And they they do these pop up things. And obviously, when when Jack came to Ireland, he brought he made sure that Bobby was coming across and then helping train the next generation. Um, it just I. I'm just looking at his goal numbers and, like, the guy scored 29 goals one season from midfield, which is ludicrous. A um, couple of things. Uh, Salah, yeah, poor today, but still, just he, he's just a force of nature. That's seven goals in nine Premier League games this season, which I mean, it, it's, it's pretty incredible that we're in year seven of Mo at Liverpool, and he's still bending the mind with the the production 194 goals for the club in 316 games. The only player in club history with that type of goal return, who's done better in terms of goals per game is the great Gordon Hodgson. Um, Mo is going to hit 200 goals for the club real soon. And like, that's just an incredible achievement. There's only four guys that have ever done that before. Like, the greats that we saw, Fowler, Dog Leash, Owen, Stevie, who played much more than Mo never got to these type of numbers. Um, the, you mentioning, uh, you know, you, you grew up in Ireland in the 80s and I grew up in Ireland in the 80s and 90s. And like Ireland was a poor country. There's no way around that. It. it was a poor country and we're from working-class families in a working-class town. And do you remember like when the new Liverpool jersey come out, and you knew you couldn't have it because you, your parents just couldn't stretch to that type of... Yeah, you weren't getting it. You were knockoffs
2: parents. even then,
3: though. Yeah, so, back in the day, the market on the fair green in Navin <laughs> of a yeah. Friday, there'd always be someone selling a dodgy jersey or two, and, like, they very clearly <laughs> were not very good, but you had your jersey and you didn't give a shit that yeah. it wasn't a good copy, <laughs> Am I alone in thinking that in an era where football jerseys have almost become like a second skin, that the ultra baggy throwback to the nineties era jerseys that the Everton boys are wearing today look like someone's just gone. We can't actually afford to buy the actual jerseys for the team. <laughs> so someone get on some dodgy Chinese website and order a bunch of jerseys. They just they don't look right. They don't they don't look the right size, they have don't look like right the modern game.
4: Have you seen the shorts as well? Have a look at them. They send you a message. They tell you where Everton are going because they've got arrows on the arrows side pointing down. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, they're a magnificent bunch that of lads, right, and I, I really is, hope that year I, of
2: of of the eighties, though, David, you're chatting a bit as well. It was like. Again, I remember, and then let's take a step inside into the official world of the Navin Shopping Centre. Yeah. You'd have your done, it was done source. It was whatever pennies was before it's pennies. It had the equivalent. You'd go in there, and instead of getting a Bart Simpson t shirt, you could get a Bert Sampson t shirt. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. You'd walk into the shopping centre, and Column O'Rourke Sports was on the left. The
2: yeah, third or fourth was, shop in genuine brands, yeah. And like y- you'd gaze longingly in the window.
3: You yeah. couldn't go inside.
2: I went inside. I went inside after a full summer where I'd saved up for a pair of Kenny Dalglish shin pads. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like um, the, the shopping centre in Navan. Me and my missus talk about this all the time. The nostalgic memories of like the maze and the little radio booth, and you know just some of the there's very few shops left McKeneman and a couple of others and like the, the you know Duns and Pennies and whatever else But so little left from the original uh, iteration of the shopping centre and it's just it's not nearly as cool as it was but no it, it is just funny to think back on on those type of jerseys that you'd get because the the, the the kit for the season would come out in the August and like your parents would have to pay for your school uniform and all that so money would be real tight so if you were lucky and you were shopping with your mom on a Friday because you didn't have school, you might just be able to convince her to take a wander across to the fair green. And you might just be able to convince her that you'd been really good for the summer and you had to go back to school soon. So like, it'd be really nice just to get the Jersey, even though like now kids would, wouldn't wipe their arses with it. Like they, they were that bad in comparison to the, the real one. But like, It just meant everything at the time. We sounded like a bunch of paupers, which we were, to be fair. (laughs) We We were a nation of paupers (laughs) in the 80s and 90s until the boom, until corruption took over and things got done.
4: now you look down at us over here, which is fair enough. I think it's about time you did. But um, yeah, even if you couldn't get the kit, it had to be in this round here at least. You had to have red. Even, you know, red t shirt, red school bag, yeah, red everything, 100%. Um, because you you did not want anything blue near you. Um, <laughs> no. If you couldn't have the kit, you definitely had to have red something.
3: Oh, there's there's a there's an infamous game that we used to like. I grew up in the housing estates, so like the housing estates would play each other in like very important football matches on a weekly basis. And it was the same type of thing. We'd always wear red in our estate because most of us were either Liverpool or United fans. And there was the odd Arsenal fan. But there was one lad who didn't own a single item of red clothing at all. So we were meant to play a game against the, the estate across the road, Silver Loans, or Silver Loan, And he said to his mum, I need a red T-shirt for tomorrow. His mum was heading down the town or something. He, he peers out for the game in what can only be described as pink and the absolute because obviously when you're 12 and 13 your mate wearing a pink t-shirt is just funny especially right, back then yeah and the absolute he didn't live it down for years he was just pinky for years <laughs> he's just pinky for years um but yeah good good times good memories but look i win over the over the blues they, they're miserable they're moaning about the canate thing which is just hilarious to me Uh, one idiot's tried to claim that Beto was clean through on goal despite the fact he was in his own half and the ball was running to Van Dijk and there's not a hope in hell that Beto's beating Van Dijk from the halfway line in a 1v1 situation we deserve to win we kept going we could have let let the heads drop last season the heads would have dropped last season that's a nil-nil last season that that game in that circumstance ends nil-nil and Look, Sean Dice can put on his Stone Island jacket now <laughs> and pop his badge out and head down to the, the local, you know, the local boozer and, and have a, a very, a very sour pint of bitter.
2: He, and he will. Uh, Dave, from, <laughs> from, from you this week again. Trev, I, I'm able to podcast five days in a row this week. It's a miracle. <laughs>
3: Monday to Friday, two-footed, Daily Red. I believe, match it, it will be back from Spain as well so we'll get a, a, at least one scouted in if not two hopefully two uh i'm on raw for the europa, europa league game against back. whoever the fuck we're playing to lose to lose Toulouse, that's the one um and uh, yeah I, i'm i'm actually i'm i'm so excited there's nothing on certain people that have been taking up a lot of time they're away for the week so they can't take up any more of my time another person who's been taking up time just sorted for this week that's fine so there's nothing for me to do other than just focus in, podcast, do a bit of writing, and and not have to fucking drop everything to go the length and breadth of the country to solve other people's problems. So immense. I'm I'm, tr- I'm 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 so excited for this week. It's it's actually ridiculous.
2: I'm looking forward to myself because the more content from yourself and Jim, the happier I am to be getting my ears around it. And if you are sensible, you'll be doing the same. Listeners, I've been Trev Denny, that was Dave Hendrick and Jim Boardman, producer Guy Drinkle in the background. We've done our best and we've gone an hour and a half again for you because that's just what we do And the three of us get together having a chat. We'll be back midweek for Raw for Toulouse. And until then, mind yourselves.
1: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show.